Our scripture reading today is from Psalm 30. It's a psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cry to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I give thanks to you forever. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Did you all have a good weekend? I had a great weekend. I got to experience my very first Stillman football game. Who was there? Oh, that was not enough, that's not enough of you. That was awesome. That was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, get to go to your first game, seeing them beat the state champs. I mean, that's just hard to beat. So, uh, but that was that was really really cool. So, uh, hopefully, many more wins uh, to come. We'll be there. Um, so last week I said, right, we're still getting to know each other, um, and, and I, I wanted to, uh, find out who was a detail-oriented person. Raise your hand again if you were detail-oriented. I need to take, like, a mental picture of you guys, because I, I need you in my life. Um, and then big picture people, where are you guys again? I got a couple of you. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, so, so. I'm, we're going to keep getting to know each other a little bit um, this morning. And, 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 and so this is an even more important question than last week's question. Um, and that, that question as we get to know each other better is, do you know who this is? <laughs> do you know who this is? Please raise your hand if you know who this is. Oh, man. Okay. That's, that's a pretty good number. So... Who knows who that is because of the movies? Raise your hand if you know him because of the movies. Or if you, and if you've read the books, raise your hand. Okay, we're going to have to work on that number. We need more of you reading. So, so this is Frodo. And he's probably the greatest character, one of the greatest characters in probably the greatest book of all time. Um, so... Um, I got to talk about him and, and not give away stuff because if you haven't seen it, well, one, you need to get to it. But it, I don't want to give it away if you haven't. But anyway, um, he is, he goes on an incredible journey. And at the end of the journey, at the end of the book, right, after, after all his battles and, and his journeys, uh, he's, um, he's been wounded several times, right? He's been um, stabbed by a ring wraith, if you're with me, right? He's been uh, stabbed by a cave troll. He's um, been attacked by a giant spider, stung by, by that, and then also had his finger bitten off. Um, so he was having a hard time, right? And it's been a really long process. Um, but I want you to listen to him. Uh, this is kind of in the, the, the end of the last book. Um, it says, Are you in pain, Frodo? said Gandalf quietly as he rode by Frodo's side. Well, yes, I am, said Frodo. It is my shoulder. The wound aches, and the memory of darkness is heavy on me. It was a year ago today. 
Alas, there are some wounds that cannot be wholly cured, said Gandalf. I fear it may be so with mine, said Frodo. There is no real going back. Though I may come to the Shire, it will not seem the same, for I shall not be the same. I am wounded with knife, sting, and tooth, and a long burden. Where shall I find rest? Gandalf did not answer. Our question for this morning is similar to Frodo's. Where, where can we find rest? Or, or, or maybe asked in a different way, how do we, how do we go on? Right? How do we go on in life after hurt and loss? That's been our theme the last several weeks. Um, but that's our question this morning. How do we go on? Let's pray. Father, we know the stings of life. We know hurt. We know pain. We know loss. All of us to different degrees and in different ways. No one in here is a stranger to pain and loss. So God, would you give us wisdom this morning? Would you give us comfort through your word? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we finish the book of Ruth today. Um, and so turn to Ruth chapter 4. We're going to read verses 13 um, through 22. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him the name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. So remember last week, uh, Boaz decided to hold a court case, right, in public at the city gate. And, and there was a lot of different legal details to it. Um, and and uh, he, remember he got all these witnesses and, and, and there was a man who was closer to Boaz or than Boaz to be the redeemer. And so Boaz was going to kind of force his hand and say, hey, you've got to either do it or don't. Um, I'm going to jump in there if you don't, but it's up to you. So the man declined, right? He said, ah, it doesn't really fit. It's not in my best interests. You know, I, here's my shoe as proof that I'm giving that away to you. And uh, so then Boaz is going to publicly declare. Uh, he says, look, I'm going to redeem, and I'm going to preserve the line of Elimelech. And, and so the witnesses are going to affirm all this. And then they, they give this really neat, which we talked about was a prophetic blessing, uh, about what will become of Ruth and Boaz and, and their offspring. 
And so our text for this morning is, is just the last very part there of the book of Ruth. And, and so we get to see the conclusion of the story. And, and so we're just going to kind of walk through that a piece at a time. So, so Ruth and, and Boaz are now married, it tells us in verse 13. Um, and, and again, it's just, it's just not the most romantic story ever. Um, we don't get to hear about um, their, their wedding. We don't get to hear if they went to Fiji for their honeymoon or not, right? We don't really know kind of the destination. We don't, yeah, I don't know. It just says he became her wife. Was it just that, you know, legal transaction and then he goes and gets her? Like, we, we don't really know, but they're, they're married now. They're, they're officially married and everyone knows it. And, and so that, that marriage will be consummated, right? It is a full marriage. And here comes God. We haven't really heard uh, God doing much in this book, though the, the author really has, has hinted, right, that throughout the book that, um, that, that there are these, you know, we call them chance chances even at one point in the book, right? This chance chance, the author's been hinting that God is very much a part of this story, even if we're not saying his name in every line and, and what all that he's doing. But look at that verse again, and what does it say that God did? Verse 13. The Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. What did God do? He gave her conception, meaning his hand enabled this amazing gift of life. And so lo and behold, here comes a baby boy. So, so I want to just kind of mention Ruth here uh, in this moment as we wrap up the story. Ruth has shown incredible kindness, uh, incredible courage, and she did so much to help Naomi um, that, that the, the, you know, the community is impressed by her because of all that she had done. And it seems as though now her, her kindness is finally going to be repaid. Remember in, in, in chapter 1 that Naomi told Ruth, hey, look, don't come with me. You need to go back. You need to go find yourself a husband. You need to find yourself a home. And, uh, and then, you know, in chapter 2, Boaz meets her, and he just says, look, I've heard great things about you and what, you, what, are, what you're doing for Naomi. It's incredible. May the Lord bless you, right? May, may you be repaid for all the goodness you're showing to her. And then in chapter 3, right, Naomi says, look, it's time. We've got to enact this plan. It's time to get you a husband. It's time to get you a home. It's time that you find rest. And so finally, all of that has led us to this point, the, the moment that they have all been hoping for, the fruit of her kindness is, is now come. And this is the last we're going to hear of her in the book, right? She, Boaz has stepped off stage now, and Ruth is going to step off the stage but she has found a home. And so then we go on, right? And as the story reads, and some say it sounds really like that the, the, the group of women come and take the baby from Ruth. Like she gives birth and then the women come in and like take her, right? That's kind of what some scholars think, that this is the, the, the scene that's described. Like, hey, thanks for the baby. We're going to go take her to Naomi, him to Naomi now. And that they're just marching through the streets, right, with this, with this baby boy. Um, but listen to what they say. It says, blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord who has not 
left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Again, who, who do the women say is responsible for the good news? It's the Lord. It was the Lord. He has shown kindness. And, and if we look at this passage again, who do they say is the Redeemer? Who is the Redeemer in the passage? It's not Boaz. Boaz is off stage. It's the newborn child. It's the newborn child. If you remember earlier in the story, we talks about, uh, you know, Ruth says to Boaz, hey, you're, you can be the Redeemer, right? And, and the idea from, from this redemption and, and from leveret marriage is that the, the child will be the one that makes things right for Naomi, right? That's, that's the plan. He, he would be the one who makes sure her family lives, or the name goes on. He's going to be the one who makes things right for Naomi. He's, he's going to take care of her. In, her. in her old age, she doesn't have to worry because this Redeemer is there. This, this child is, go, is going to be the one who is responsible for her. He was to be, as they said, a restorer of life. I really like that phrase, a restorer of life. That was the role of Obed for, um, for his grandmother slash mom in some ways. So what happens next? It says, Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. So it depends on who you read here. and depends on the scholar. But um, th- there are many who, who think basically at this point this child is, is Naomi's. Like, they took her, Ruth gave birth, they took her and said, here you go, here you go, Naomi, he's yours. And, 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 and that would mean, you know, she's responsible for all of his raising, and, and that in everyone's eyes, he is the actual son of Naomi. I, I don't think it goes quite that far. A lot of scholars don't think we go quite that far with it, but probably Naomi, at the very least, is, is going to live with Ruth and Boaz Right? She's going to be kind of their live-in uh, nanny, live-in caretaker. And they are going to let her do a lot of the raising as far as um, teaching and discipline. And she's going to have kind of this elevated status uh, in their home. This baby is her future. Um, and, and this strange thing happens, right, where the women are allowed to name this little boy. Um, we don't see anything like this ever that the the neighborhood gets to name this child, but they do, and they name him Obed, which basically means servant or or one who serves. Uh, Like the name Obadiah is one who serves the Lord, Um, so Obed is is just a servant. And so we think maybe it's hinting towards that, but but others think maybe it's just that the the neighborhood named him servant because his job was going to be to take care of of Naomi. He, he was born to be the one who saves her, who serves her. He will be there to serve and take care of this woman 
the rest of his life, the rest of her life. That's what he was born to do. So then look again at verse 17. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And I think we've talked about it. I, I, I haven't kept a secret from you. We've kind of known the ending all along. He's the father of Jesse, who is the father of David. So remember, this story is, is written long after the, the, the story of Obed, because for them to have known about David, this has to have come from, from before. When, when, when the names Jesse and David would have meant something. But, but wow, right? Wow, maybe the first time you heard this story, right? We've unknowingly been reading the origin story of King David. We're reading the origin story of King David. The history, right? The history of his great-grandmother, Ruth, the Moabite, a foreign woman who came to learn of the Lord, who, who became a Jew, And so now we're going to finish the rest of the story, and then we'll just unpack it a little bit. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. That's the last words of the book. Jesse fathered David. That's it. The story ends with a genealogy, which is kind of boring, not quite the dramatic ending we were hoping for, right? Not a, and they lived happily ever after, or, you know, they, they built a giant house and played golf every afternoon. You know, we don't get the, the, the ending that maybe we were hoping for. But there are, notice, there are ten generations listed here. Ten generations listed. And, and we're not going to do the math. You guys probably know I hate math. So we're not going to do the math. But, uh, we're, we're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of, of the lineage of Perez. Ten generations does not cover it, okay? Ten generations doesn't cover that. This is not the whole lineage. Um, the Bible doesn't always give us the whole lineage. They give us representation. The numbers are what mean something. And, and ten is, is a great number, right? And, and it's, it's in terms of the lineage of the kings, they would use ten to show their justification of being the king. So, the seventh person, whenever they're, whenever they're listing a genealogy, the seventh person is typically the person who gets the highest honor, a place of special honor and importance in all of this lineage. And then tenth is David, right? So obviously we know that one's important. Guess who number seven is? It's Boaz. Boaz is the seventh. He's the one who gets the special special uh, recognition as this, this, this man of, uh, of, of great courage, a great character, right? Uh, sweet, soft-spoken Boaz, the kind one, the one that saves a family, the one that, that, that takes this foreign woman and, and redeems her. He gets special mention. Did anybody, is, is there a name missing that you were expecting to hear in this lineage? Is there a name? Well, it would be Elimelech. Elimelech is not in the, mentioned in this, and it's bothered me for a really long time. Um, and the more you read about it, the less, you, the less answers you, you get 
as to why no mention of Elimelech, right? Where's, where's Malon, right? Where, when, when Boaz talks about it, you know, I'm going to redeem this woman and, and make sure that his, the lineage of Elimelech and Malon live on, but it's not listed here. Why? The, the, the be- Let me give you the best explanations that we have for the reasoning. Um, and, and the first and the most important is that the point of a leveret marriage um, was about inheritance. It wasn't necessarily like names in a family tree, but it was about inheritance, right? There's this piece of land, and it cannot leave that family. And so they need, they need a descendant to, to have that land. And so Obed would fill that role. Okay. Um, so Obed was legally the child of, of Elimelech, Malon, um, in terms of the ownership of that land. He's going to inherit all of it. Um, so it would be preserved forever as long as Obed's line keeps going. The, the line of Elimelech does go in terms of, that, of the land. The second thing we think is Obed may have been Ruth and Boaz's only child. Um, and so, so, so Boaz then gets the, the rights of genealogy, right? There's no other kids spoken about, so we don't know. But we think maybe this is their only child. And so then, then Obed would, would, would make sure Boaz's line goes forward too. So it, it, you know, maybe we'll say that Obed is of dual citizenship, right? He is, he is in the line of, of Elimelech, but he's also the, the line of Boaz. And so um, he's going to primarily go on in the future. Boaz gets this honor, and, and he, he is the biological son um, of Boaz. So we could talk again all about the legal details and stuff, but I don't want to. I want to keep going because there's, there's more I want to tell you. Um, so what, you know, what do we make of all of this? What, what do we make of this, this story? And, there, and there's so many things we could talk about, right? We just scratched the surface of, of, of all these different things that we, could, we can know. Um, and, and, and over the last seven weeks, we've, we've talked about several of those things. But, 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 but as we wrap this up today, I want to just kind of mention specifically a few things about finding loss, or life after loss, right? That's kind of what we've been looking at, right? How do we move forward? How do we find life after loss? Um, so I want to make three quick points, and, 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 and those are the ones that I think for us as individuals, for us as a church, you know, we can, we can move on from the book of Ruth, um, living those out. And, and the first one is, is pretty basic, but it's, it needs to be said, Understand that our lives will always be about faith and trust in Him. That's always going to be our purpose. That's always going to be a part of the point, part of the story, right? No matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, the main purpose of your journey right now is developing your faith and your trust in Him. It's knowing Him, right? It's loving Him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And that takes a lot of work. Every day, that's an active thing to do. That's always the main point. That's what life is always about. So if you are in the greatest season of your life right now, or if you're in the hardest, most painful season of your life right now, God's intention for you in that time is to grow closer to Him, to to grow in your faith, to trust Him more. Always, we can always say that every sermon we could put that kind of point in there. It just needs to be said. When we look at the book of Ruth, part of what God is doing, part of what we need to take from it 
is that we're growing because we trust him. Naomi, Ruth, Boaz, they all had different journeys in this story. But they always had the dilemma in front of them. Do I trust God or not? Do I trust God or do I not? You and I are no different. So today, the main goal in in your life is to trust him more. Tomorrow, guess what the, the goal is? To trust him more. And it will always be our goal. Okay, and so the second point I need to make is related to this. And, and it is this, that God uses the faithfulness of ordinary people to do great things. God uses the faithfulness of ordinary people to do great things. How do great stories of our lives begin? How, how about the Bible, right? Where do they start? They start with stories like a young carpenter and his teenage fiance who were just living life the best way they know how. Just trying to be faithful. And God's going to use them to do amazing things. With, with a guy who had lost everything and he was just tending his father-in-law's sheep in the middle of the deserts of Midian, thinking life was over, just trying to take it one day at a time. None of us has any idea how or when God is going to take our ordinary efforts and use them for something extraordinary. We just don't know. How many of you have ever heard of Henrietta Mears? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Henrietta Mears. Okay, there's actually a couple of you that have heard of her. Um, Henrietta was a, a school teacher uh, in the 1920s, 1930s um, in, in Minnesota. And, and um, she was, I think, a chemistry teacher. But she was frail. She had really bad health. She was almost blind. Um, just a lot of people felt like she was a limited person. Um, but she felt this, she loved the Bible, and she felt this call to start teaching a Sunday school class. And, and it became a really popular Sunday school class. People loved hearing from her. And anyway, she ended up working in California with a bunch of college students and, and, and started a Sunday school class at a church in California. Um, and, and she just was faithful. She just loved to teach, was faithful. And, and can I tell you a few of her students that she taught? Let me just tell you a couple of them. Uh, Bill Bright, you guys know who Bill Bright is? You ever heard of him? And his wife, Vonette, eventually his wife, Vonette Bright. They are the founders of Crusades for Christ. Or, sorry, Campus Crusade for Christ. Campus Crusade, or sometimes, I think it's called Crew mainly now, right? Started by Bill and his wife, um, they were in her Sunday school class before they were anything. Uh, another guy, Jim Rayburn. Has ever, anybody ever heard of Jim Rayburn? He's a guy who founded Young Life, right? Um, so some of you guys have, know what Young Life is. Um, both Campus Crusade and Young Life, were, they, they give credit to this, this Sunday school teacher, Henrietta Mears, as being the one who inspired them. And then millions of people have come to Christ through Campus Crusade. Millions of kids have come to Christ through Young Life. She's got one more famous student. Do you know who it is? Billy Graham. Billy Graham was in Henrietta Mears' Sunday school class. Mears helped him develop his faith and helped him develop what he essentially or eventually would, would come to know as a, a call to ministry and, and evangelism in, in a way that hadn't been seen before. Again, millions 
of people will say that they came to know about Christ through the work of, of the ministries of Billy Graham. A teacher from Minnesota with lifelong rheumatism and bad eyesight through being obedient and teaching the word. God would use her Sunday school class to eventually share Christ with untold millions. Many of us in, in this room owe our discipleship, right? The uh, young life played a big role in, in my discipleship in my life. And it goes back to Jim, which goes back to Henrietta, just being a faithful Sunday school teacher. We need to know the most seemingly mundane situation is a sacred moment. It's an opportunity to contribute to the unfolding of God's redemptive plan. God does great things through the faithfulness of ordinary people. Okay, third. In our hurt and loss, God will move us from bitterness to joy if we will let him. Remember at the beginning of the story, we met, we met Naomi. And, and she moves from Naomi, right? That name means pleasant. And, and people say, hey, Naomi. She says, don't call me that anymore. Call me Mara. And Mara means bitter. She says, God has made my life bitter. I just want you guys to call me that from now on. And now here she is, sitting with a baby in her lap. And her friends call her Naomi again, don't, don't they? So she's blessed. They say, she's blessed because God has blessed her. So she's gone from being empty. She comes from coming back to Israel empty-handed to being full again in the house of bread. She has experienced the worst pain and loss that this life can offer, losing of her husband and her sons. And now she's moving on. The pain and the loss, it won't go away. It will always be there for her. Their time and, and, and healing, they help, but they don't take it away. But even though those hurts and losses are there, there are still new seasons, new seasons of joy to be had for her. You know, in, in the beginning of, 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 of 2020, right, all of our lives changed. And, and we had no idea what was coming. It was just this weird, every day was totally unknown about what to expect and what was going to take place and, 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 and so much fear and anxiety came it was a terrible thing right our lives we would say all changed maybe forever I don't know but they all changed and, and it took a toll on everybody according to, to research done by Boston College anxiety and depression increased in adults by 50% Fifty percent. In the ages of 18 to 29, it was even worse than that. It was way, way worse than that. They, they, they now say that 61 percent of aged 18 to 29 were dealing with depression. And, and, still, and, and probably still are. 61 percent of that age range, 18 to 29. That's an unbelievable statistic. We're dealing with unbelievable statistics that we've all lived through and experienced. If you look at those statistics now, they haven't changed a whole lot. It, 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 the way we feel, the way people are experiencing that, haven't changed a whole lot. 
We were, we were staying in it, if you will. And, and I'm not a counselor, I'm not a psychologist, but, but part of healing is deciding to keep moving, deciding to go forward, just to persevere, to trust God, to take one more step, to go one more day. I don't know, I just, I'm going to go one more. I just got to. Knowing that joy can still be coming, that their, their joy is, is, is somewhere in those next steps. We're not machines. We don't just keep going for no reason. We go because we know that there's joy. It's still to be had. It's not over. This, this church has known incredible pain, right? Incredible loss in the last few years in so many different ways. It, it would be easy to say, well, all right, let's just check out. We've experienced so much. Let's just check out. Let's just be done. We've, we've, we've had a good run at things. Let's just be done, right? It's so easy to just start to think, man, the best is behind us. Best is behind in my life. In my church, the best is behind. But I'm here to remind us that the story of Ruth, the story of Naomi, the story of a baby boy restoring the future of these widows, it didn't stop there. It's our story too. Remember, this this baby boy is, is the grandfather of David, and, and of course, David will be the great, 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 whatever, grandfather of another miracle baby, Jesus, who came to bring hope to the world. You know, sometimes I feel like we, we need, like, maybe permission. I don't know if that's the right word. Like, per- permission um, to go from bitterness to joy. Maybe we need that. Maybe we need permission. I, I don't know. I don't know all of your pains. I don't know all of the losses that you have experienced and gone through. But, but looking at Naomi, looking at Ruth, looking at Boaz and Obed, and just, can I just say, if you're waiting for permission, I give it to you. I, I don't have to be the one that gives it to you, but I will. Right? I give you permission. God gives you permission to find joy again, to pursue it. It's okay. And, and it's going to look different, right? Th- things will not be the same. In, in all of us, we have this burning hope that things will go back to whatever period of our lives that we hope that they were, right? And they're just not going to. But God has this amazing ability to, to take us from, from Mara, right, from bitter to, to Naomi, to pleasant, to joy, if we will let him. And so just here this morning, you have permission from God to pursue joy again. It's not over. This, this struggle is, is for all of us, right? The, the struggle that we all experience is, is the question that we have to ask every day. Will God take care of me? Is God going to take care of me? And implied in that is, does he care does God care about me? And the answer we get from Ruth, the answer we get from Naomi's life, from Ruth's life, it, it, it is, 
We are precious to him. And we saw that last week. We are precious in his eyes, and he loves us. And he knows us, and he calls us by his name, or by our names. God cares for the, the Moabite widow in the middle of nowhere, right? And if he can do that, we, we know that he, he cares for, for us. He cares for our little church in Stillman Valley, Illinois. And people who live in this place. And he will move us from bitterness to joy if we will let him. We have to let go of bitterness. Obed, right, was a restorer of joy in the life of Naomi. And we know that, that Obed, just like Jesus, is a restorer of joy. And Jesus will restore our lives too if we will let him. Let's pray. Father, every day, in the back of our minds, somewhere in our heart, is the burning question. Do you care about us? Are you going to take care of me? Can I trust you? Father, we can lose sight of the promises you have kept. We can lose sight of the fulfillments we've seen. God, would you help us to remember? God, when we feel insignificant, when we feel like nothing matters, when we feel like our lives are are worthless, and that you don't care, would you remind us of a, a Moabite widow who had nothing to offer? Remind us that you used her to be a part of the greatest story ever told. Her name goes on forever in the genealogy of Jesus. So we do know that you care. God, help us to trust you every day. In our hurts and in our losses, God, would you help us to give, the, to give us courage to just get up trust you with one more day. Knowing the end of the story, knowing that Jesus will make all things right, that paradise with you is a reality. So that no matter what, we can have hope and we can have joy because you love us. Thank you, Father. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.